scenario. Uh, Ten years ago, I wouldn't even think this uh, would be possible, but you know what? It's not far from being the truth today. Imagine this scenario. Our city directors, our city council, passes an ordinance that preaching on certain controversial topics is considered hate speech. And because our church is unapologetically committed to the Word of God, we just keep on preaching the Word of God. And so I and some of our other ministers are arrested. Criminal charges are filed. A trial date is set. The authorities then come to our church board and threaten that if we don't comply, the doors to this building are going to be chained shut so that we cannot meet. My question is, what would be our church's immediate response to that? Would we be scared into compliance, worried that we might lose members and a whole lot of money? Would we hire an attorney? Would we mount a protest march in downtown Fort Smith? Would we appeal to the state and federal Supreme Court on the basis of separation of church and state? Really, what, what would we do? Well, before you answer that, let's turn to Acts chapter 4, where we see this very thing happening in the early church, and we will see what they did. Now, you're going to have to remember a couple of weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 3, and we read about this crippled man who had been healed through the power of Jesus Christ. In fact, through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, for the first time in this man's life, he stood up and walked. This caused a stir. A crowd gathered and the apostles Peter and John preached that the only way to be saved is through faith in the resurrected Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And after preaching that, the temple guards seized Peter and John and they threw them in jail. Well, the very next day there was a hearing and the apostles were commanded to stop teaching and stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Church, can I tell you, you can arrest preachers, but you cannot arrest the gospel. You can throw, you can applaud that because that's good right there. You can throw preachers into jail, but you cannot stop the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John replied, you know what? When it comes down to obeying God or obeying men, we're going to choose God. And we can't help but preach what we have seen and what we have heard. So we're going to keep preaching Jesus Christ. Well, they released the apostles and they returned to the church family who were waiting on them. And after they reported, what, what did they do? What did the church do? Did they hire an attorney? Did they appeal to Caesar? Did they conduct a protest march down the streets of Jerusalem? And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, nor should we be involved in any of those things, but that is not what they did. No, let me tell you what they did. They took a totally different approach. When Peter and John were released, having been sternly warned not to preach the gospel any longer, here's what went down. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord in prayer. And they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea 
and all that is within them. Church, let me remind you this morning that we are in spiritual warfare. There are spiritual battles going on all around us. And if you haven't faced those in your family or in your home or at work, or if you don't see those at play in our world today, you need to wake up. Because spiritual battles are raging all around us. And I'm here to tell you that our mightiest weapon in spiritual warfare today was their mightiest weapon back in the early church. And it's prayer. Verse 24a, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord in prayer. I want the Spirit of God and the Word of God to encourage us this morning as we dig deep into the middle of a hot summer and as we reflect on what has happened in our country this past week, I think our focus should be on two great objectives. Number one, revival praying. If there is any hope for our country today, it has got to be God's hope through revival. It's not going to come through government. It's not going to come through democracy. It is going to come through God. We need to pray for revival. And then number two, gospel saturation. Our focus should be on revival praying and gospel saturation. Jesus has given us individually and he has given us collectively as the church a mission to proclaim the life-transforming gospel to our city, to our state, and to the nations of the world. And empowered by the Spirit, we can make a difference. Not only in the River Valley, but we can make a difference in our world. Just like the early church did here in the book of Acts. So as we unfold this story and see what happened, I want to point out a couple of things to you. First of all, I want you to notice the threatening circumstances for this early church, and especially Peter and John. Verse 24 tells us, when they heard that, well, when they heard what? When they heard about how Peter and John had been commanded and also threatened that they were to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Church, let me tell you, as long as we are faithful, there will always be threatening circumstances. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians when adversity comes our way. Listen, the work of the Spirit of Christ through the church of our Lord Jesus Christ will always be met with opposition. We see it all the way through the book of Acts and through church history as well. Let me tell you three truths about the devil, three things about the devil that are true. Number one, Satan hates God. <laughs> he despises God. Number two, Satan hates all believers. If you're here today, you, you need to understand Satan hates you. He hates your guts. Right? But number three is something that we sometimes forget. Satan also hates non-believers. Satan doesn't like anybody. Satan hates everyone. And so he's going to do everything he can to keep non-believers from hearing the word of God that can save them. Therefore, he is threatening the church. He is throwing threats at you because he doesn't want you to advance the good news of the gospel with your Christian witness. Listen, church, threatening circumstances will come to each of us 
sooner or later. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Don, my middle daughter, Callie, who's right here on the end, she's going to be leaving uh, next month in August to go on a mission trip, nine-month mission trip, uh, the world race. She's going to be in Albania, she's going to go to the Philippines, and then she's going to go to South Africa. She's going to be gone from her mom and dad for nine months. Yeah? And I have people ask me all the time, people are, you're asking me, Will, aren't you afraid to send your daughter Callie off to those three countries knowing what's going on in our world? And I'll have to tell you, there is a part of me that is afraid. But church, let me tell you, I, I have fear every morning when I send Zane down to Greenwood. I fear for my daughter Whitney every day as she lives in Little Rock and goes to the Dillard's Corporation for work every day. I fear for my wife as she lives on Cary Lane. I fear for you. Why? Because we live in a sin-saturated society where nothing is safe. Where devil, the devil is having a field day. That's why every day, as their dad and father, I pray the armor of God on my family. Every day I pray this prayer. Lord, would you just help my family wear the whole armor of God? Help us to put on the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace. I pray that we would wear the breastplate of righteousness. Help us to put on the helmet of salvation, carrying the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, help us to do everything we can to stand for you. And when we've done that, help us just to keep standing. Every day I pray that prayer for my family. You need to be praying it for your family. Why? Because Jesus promised that in this world, we as his followers would experience trouble, affliction, and persecution. It's coming. The Bible tells us we're not to be surprised when fiery trials come our way. Neither are we to sit and just fret and worry. We're not to lock ourselves into the bathroom and hope it all goes away. Because it's not going to. We just get out there and stand for God, wearing the armor of God, speaking the truth of God. And it is amazing how God will use even these circumstances for our good and His glory. When we do the second thing we see in this passage, these early disciples were desperate about their prayer life. Verse 24 says, When they heard that, they raised their voices in prayer. Can I ask you, what is your first instinct when you're faced with threatening circumstances? What's your first instinct? Maybe you go to the doctor and, and you get that dreaded diagnosis of cancer. Or maybe something goes terribly wrong at work and you lose your job. Or maybe you're having a rebellious teenager or a rebellious grandchild. What is your first instinct? Is it to worry? Is it fear? anxiety, maybe anger, or, or maybe you try to find comfort with some kind of sinful activity. Listen to me, church. When faced with threatening circumstances, the people of faith, followers of Jesus Christ, those who are devoted to the Lord, the first thing they do is raise their voice to God in prayer. They don't worry or sulk or run away. They pray. They pray. You might say, well, 
How in the world can you pray about these big problems? Well, the way we can pray about big problems is because we prayed about little problems. And it's just our way of life. That's what we do as believers. This is a pattern. And the source of our power as believers and as a church is seen right here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. It was this prayer life that produced the power that amazed the authorities in Jerusalem. Right here in Acts chapter 4, it says that these authorities who seized Peter and John were amazed that they were unlearned and uneducated men. But they took note of the fact that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Their communion with Jesus is what fueled their lives with such power in the Holy Spirit. Their desperate prayer is what gave them power to saturate and shake their city with the good news of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards is one of the most well-known and famous preachers in American history. Back in the 1700s, he, he pastored a church in Massachusetts, and he recognized that they needed revival in their church, and so he wrote a little booklet describing the kind of revival that his church needed. Listen to the title of this little booklet that Jonathan Edwards wrote. It was entitled, A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth. That's a book and a title. Man. I don't know how little the book really was. How would you like to sit and listen to him preach? What what leaped out at me in this title was that Edwards called for something, something he tagged extraordinary prayer. That just kind of caught me. Extraordinary prayer. For God to revive his church and expand his kingdom. What is extraordinary prayer? Well, simply put, It's beyond what we do ordinarily. It is more than what we are currently doing. It is taking prayer to that next level in our lives and in our church. And That's what I'm challenging you with today. Let's know something of this desperate prayer. Let's start praying in an extraordinary way. What would extraordinary prayer look like in your life? I just dare you to try it. I'm sure you will be amazed at the difference you see when you turn your ordinary prayer life into an extraordinary prayer life. What would it look like? Well, I think you'd probably be willing to get up 30 minutes early or stay up 30 minutes late at night because you now have realized that talking to God is more important than sleeping. You might skip a meal. Because you realize that nourishing your soul and communing with God is more important than feeding your body. Can you imagine the difference it would make in the life of your family and in your home and in the life of your kids if you spent an extraordinary amount of time praying for them? 
And if your marriage is a mess, let me tell you, both you and your spouse need to give some extraordinary time in praying for your home. I, I wonder what, what kind of difference would it make if, if, as a church, we started praying in an extraordinary way? Hey, can I tell you, we got some talented people at this church. I stand amazed at the talent, not only on our church staff, but in, in our volunteer, in you. You're, you are an amazing group of people. You know, we've kind of got to a point here at Cavanaugh where it, this is just kind of a big machine, and it just kind of goes through the, the motions, and there's so many good things in place. I mean, our, our worship music, both first service and second service, is unbelievable. It is amazing. It really is amazing. It's, a, it's about as good as it gets. The talent on our staff, they, these guys just blow me away. They really do. You know, the, the, the worst mistake we can make as a church and as servants of God is to depend on how good we are or what we can do instead of depending on God and what he can do. So, so what if we just kind of level the field here? And when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we don't demand or we don't expect these guys to do great or for me to be some great orator. What if we're expecting God to show up? And if what, what, if, what if we start praying in an extraordinary way? Lord, I, I know you've done some great things through the ministry of Kavanaugh Church, but would you really step in here and would you really start doing something? We're willing to do whatever it is you lead us to do, God. Guys, I think we'd be blown away at how God could take this fellowship and turn us upside down. What would extraordinary prayer look like if we ended today's service, which I think we will, with just a big altar of prayer? And all of us, no matter who you are, maybe it's your first time here, but you just came down here and you got a little piece of it too. And, and you prayed to God like we're praying to God and said, God, the field is open. Whatever you want to do in my life, in my family, in this church, Lord, you do it. We're going to do that, man. We're going to give it a shot here in a minute and just see what God does. You know what Jonathan Edwards called for this kind of praying, but he knew that it would take more than just praying. It would take people praying in agreement and praying in unity. And that's the next thing we see in this passage. Look at verse 24. It says, they raised their voice with one accord. I can remember back when those Honda Accords came out, and there's all these jokes about, you know, being in one accord, but it's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being in unity. We're told that upon their release, they went to their own people, verse 23. That means that they had Christ-centered relationships, and they immediately huddled up together with these other people. They reported what had happened. An instantaneous prayer meeting broke out. When they gave the news about what the authorities had said to them, the first thing that happened, they just started praying. So it begs me to ask you the question, do you have that circle of people in your own life to run to for support when you are facing threatening circumstances? We need that. Somebody might wonder, why, why do y'all come back on Sunday night and have Bible study Sunday night? We do it for this reason right here. Not only to learn from the Word of God in small group settings, but we do it so that you can connect with other Christians. So when, when a crisis comes to your life, and it will come, you've got some people you can run to that will love on you and support you 
and help you pray through. It's important that we pray alone, but you know what? It's also important that we pray together. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, if just two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. So we pray. We pray in unity. But then number four, there's got to be confident hope that our prayers are going to be answered. Verse 24, they raise their voices together in prayer to God. And I want you to look at how God-centered their praying is. Before they started making any request, they filled their minds with what they knew was true about God. Now only half of you heard me say that, so I'm going to say it again. This is so important. Before they asked God for anything, they filled their minds with scriptural truths of God. Verse 24b, here's how they started their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Sovereign Lord means ruler of the universe, the one who has unchallengeable power. Earthly authorities have to bow down to the ultimate authority in heaven. He is sovereign Lord. There is none beside Him. There is none equal to Him. He is God and He is God alone. Governments must submit to His power. He's God. He's sovereign. That's a pretty good thing to fill your mind with when you're praying to Him. Lord, there ain't nobody like you. And not only that, he is the God of all creation. It says, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. You not only made it, you control it. You're God. And so they keep praying in verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You know what? Sometimes our enemies, the enemies of God, think they are in charge. They think they are in control. They think they are calling the shots, and they think they're having their way. But not so. They're not God. He is. Verse 27, they prayed, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They thought they were calling the shots, but they weren't, God. You were. Because you are God. And listen to me, church, when we have that vision of God, no threatening circumstances can discourage us. Even if we do get the big C word, you got cancer. Even if we do lose our job. Even if our kids do rebel. Even if this country is falling apart, we know that God is still in control. Our God is sovereign Lord. Nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing is beyond His reach. Nothing is beyond His power. He is God. And with that vision of God firmly planted in their minds... They finally come down to asking God a favor. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants 
that with all boldness we may speak your word. <laughs> Man, I just got to laugh. I got to laugh at that. What a great prayer to pray. Here was their request. Lord, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Notice this, church. They are praying for the very thing that got them into hot water at the beginning. Why were they arrested? Because they were preaching in Jesus' name. What are they asking God to do? To give them power to preach in Jesus' name. They were not praying for, for comfort. They were not praying for a convenient life. They were not praying for the threatening circumstances to be taken away. No, they were praying for the Lord to grant them the ability to be faithful. Lord, help us to do what you've called us to do. Help us to be a bold witness. And so they are praying for God to enable them to do what they could do. But they also prayed for God to do what only God could do. Look at verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to do what we can do so that you can do what you do. Help us to be faithful and a bold witness for you. And as we speak your name, Lord, I pray that you would be working as well. Can I tell you, this kind of praying is unstoppable. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer for the kingdom of God to grow and expand. And God is always going to answer that prayer. Let, let me tell you what happened when they prayed that prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Lord, I pray that you'd shake this place today, man. Shake us up, huh? I like what the old preacher said. I don't know, this, this may have been a Fred Warner outline. The prayer went up, the power came down, and the proclamation went forth. Woo! Man, Lord, help it to happen today. Lord, please help that to happen today. As we lift our voice to you in unity, I pray that the power would come down, that you would shake this place and dear Lord, that we would leave this building on fire, ready to speak the name of Jesus and proudly proclaim that you are the answer to the problems we face in life. Help us now, dear Lord, to come and to do this very thing, to come and pray. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's shake this place today. Without any music, without the band playing, I'm asking you to come to the altar and pray. I'm asking everyone to come. I don't care who you are or what's going on in your life. You need to be down here praying today. And as we fill up the altar, I'm asking that you fill up the aisles. And if you can't get out of your pew, kneel down at your pew. But let's all take a knee this morning. If you're physically able, take a knee today and humble yourself before God. Start filling your mind with biblical truths about God. Remember who He is and what He's done. And then do some extraordinary praying. And I believe the Lord is going to lead you in how to pray today. Maybe you need to pray for your own life. Because your life's a mess. And you need help. You need forgiveness. Pray and ask God to forgive you and help you and, and cleanse you. He's faithful to do that. Maybe you need to do some extraordinary praying today for your family. Maybe it's your relationship with your spouse. 
or it could be with your kids or your grandkids. You know how God is leading you to pray. Would you pray in an extraordinary way for your family today? Let's pray for our church. Would you please pray an extraordinary prayer for your church? Pray for your, for your leaders. Pray for your Bible study teacher. Pray for your staff. Pray for your pastor. Pray for each other. Let's pray that God would use Kavanaugh Church in a mighty way to shake things up in the River Valley. Let's pray that we would always be a light in a dark world. And church, I'm calling on all of you to pray for our country. Oh God, please change America. Lord, help a revival to come across our country. Lord, do what only you can do. Would you pray, church? Pray out loud, pray silently, pray by yourself, pray with somebody, but pray, pray now. Would you pray?